Welcome to Queer Companion. My name is M. I am a non-binary witch, sex worker, and raver. I'm from Berlin in Germany, and I'm very happy that you found your way to my podcast. This is the first episode that I ever recorded, and I'm super excited to share it with you. I'm talking to my friend Jane. We've known each other for about three years, and we've been in a coven together for more than two years and have been practicing a lot together and have also just been raving together and hanging out and sharing conversations. And um, this one is one of them. We're gonna talk about what it means to be a witch, what it means to be a radical witch, how sexuality and witchcraft are connected about different kinds of hexes, for example, the mall hex, and about rave magic. So I hope you find this conversation interesting. We definitely had a lot of fun doing it. And I just, uh, yeah, I'm happy that you found your way here. And I'm super excited to get this project going. Basically, I just wanted to create a platform for a queer community because in these pandemic times, it's been really hard to connect and to stay in touch and to be in community. And um, having conversations like these helps me and I hope it also helps you to feel more connected and to get a little bit of input and insight and hopefully some new ideas. Feel free to shoot me some feedback to queercompanionpodcast at gmail.com. I'll be happy to hear from you. Also, I should mention this. I'm not a native English speaker, so bear with me. I don't always have all the words right at hand, but I do my best. Also, a little side note, I decided not to edit anything <laughs> because... I am fighting my inner perfectionist and I found that failure can be actually very liberating. So this is the first take and I'm going to keep it. <laughs> and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Bye. Hey, witchy. Hey. How's it going? Good. Just excited for the new moon's arrival. Yeah. Cozy in my lockdown room. <laughs> Your lockdown room. Yeah. We're going to be in that for a little longer, I guess. <laughs> but when um, it's so snowy, I don't really mind. I know. It's, it's like quite cozy, actually. And I've kind of, yeah, really become this like hermit. <laughs> in the past days especially I like don't even want to go outside or do meet anyone or do anything social yeah so in some ways it's quite good it takes the pressure off it does yeah that's true come spring I think I'm gonna be like scratching at the walls ready to get out (laughs) yeah I can't wait for a spring ritual I feel like like March 21st is when 
things are gonna like really come back to life not only in nature but also hopefully the goddamn fucking lockdown will be over and uh we can rave through the woods at least even if we can't rave in a club but oh yeah also march 21st is when i'm having my postponed 30th birthday celebrations i know really i'll be 31 but i decided (laughs) last year when my when corona happened to postpone it by a year so that's hope (laughs) um yeah, we're also, uh, or you are also having the Mall Hex anniversary this February, right? Um, two years ago. You oh, yeah. yeah. Two understood. years on the waning crescent moon. So <laughs> it's quite a, um, I was gonna, an auspicious day. I still remember, um, so we were at Berghain together uh, and around midnight, I think you set out to hex the mall. And uh, a few few hours, I think you came back, a few hours later, you came back. Um, and in my mind, you had like, your your face was somehow covered in ash. I don't know if that's what, <laughs> that was like, oh, drugs or something. But you were like covered in some dirt or ash or something. And you had this like manic look on your face. And you said to me, I hexed the shit out of them. Capitalism is over. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great time. And actually, when I was looking back at my notes from two years ago, I saw written like, oh, why did I hex them all? Well, capitalism's over, folks. It might take a while to feel the effects, but the end is coming. And it, and here it, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> Did not see that one coming. <laughs> not in this way. Oh no. Oh no. So um, I think it would be interesting for our dear listeners to describe um, the mall hex and why why did you hex a mall? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would describe myself, or at the time I was describing myself as a hex positive witch. I think since Corona times, I've decided to change the positive and have it as hexstatic um but so yeah when I hexed them all I'd just come back from like this magic conference in France uh, where I was talking about kind of witchcraft feminism and the need to like have politicized magic because I think like all power is inherently like about negotiations of power and I was talking about these folks who once a month they did this well, they called it a binding ritual, but essentially they hexed Donald Trump every waning crescent moon. And so I got back from this conference and, you know, because I was like stuck in the prison of academia as well, both mentally and physically. Um, I came back from this conference and I was just feeling like shit, like everything, the conference had been a real success, but I was just like, I don't know, feeling depressed. And I noticed it was the waning crescent moon. And also I was coming on my period and um, so like, I just resolved, like rather than on the one hand, just talking about practitioners of magic rather than getting my hands dirty. And also like having these kind of negative cycles in my mind, I just like resolved like, you know what, I'm sick of this shit. I'm gonna um, direct this like, energy at the right targets. 
And for me, like the mall at Varshaw, like this blooming East Side mall, I just find it an absolute abomination. Like Warschauerstrasse, when I first moved to Berlin, for me, Warschauerstrasse seemed like, I mean, it's a janky kind of place, but it's like a place of kind of great freedom. Mm-hmm. And especially like being located where Berghain is, as far as like two sides of the tracks on the one hand, you've got the place where you can go dancing, like time and space doesn't exist. On the other, you've got this blooming mall, which just is a great symbol of like accumulation and like the nine to five. So, I mean, the mall was already there when I started my hex. But I just thought, fuck it. Fuck you, mall. I'm going to hex the shit out of it. Yeah, Um, that mall is really, uh, stands for so many things that are, are, wrong in the city at the moment I feel like um I remember when I moved here I was I always lived in Friedrichshain so I always got off with Warschauer and um there was already they were starting to build something there but it took about like 10 years or something until this wall was finished and when it was finished it was somehow like just this mall being finished and like being so obnoxious and so like loudly advertising itself. It was kind of this like feeling of like, oh fuck, like this is what Berlin is now or this is what's happening. And then that whole stretch with Mercedes and Coca-Cola and Universal um, started developing more and more. And somehow this mall being so close also to Berghain and to that whole area, just really was this like, like um, gentrification creeping in and coming closer and closer. Was, I feel like it's it's like a symbolism for mm-hmm. symbol for that. Uh, creeping, I think, is a good word to describe it. And so my hex was also like trying to reveal these subtle ways that the space has changed because, like, well, actually, I didn't know about the arrival of the Amazon Tower, which I feel all these little changes were prepping the landscape for this arrival but for example on the other side of the tracks do you remember there just used to be loads of punks around this tree and then it all got covered in concrete and like an unnecessary amount of bicycle stands like (laughs) I know a million bicycle stands and like who uses them nobody does it was just to push the punks out yeah, but it's like, you know, they're not actively bulldozing out the punks, but there's just these subtle impositions. And like, for example, having all these like neon flashing adverts there, you know, if you stumble out of Berkheim and you, you know, like sh- shaken off all these shackles of the nine to five, and then you get faced with these adverts, you kind of get pulled back into the system. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty pissed off. And also like, remember back at Warschau because actually now the U Eins isn't running which I don't know I see that as a bit suspicious but um there always used to be musicians outside of the U-Bahn mm. and like people gathering and when you stood there you could gaze out across the landscape it seemed very hopeful but now you're just staring at the mall and the adverts and just a big sign of consumption yeah totally um what did you do during the the first hex I know you had this uh, stick this like half burnt stick that's what I remember oh, yeah yeah so as I said like there's just one day where I was like right I'm gonna 
do a hex what am I going to do like the fucking model and actually I think when I had these ideas I was just brushing my teeth and when I came out of the bathroom my housemate at the time who was a carpenter was like oh Jane I've got something that I think you could put to good use and it's like this massive stake it was um from an olive tree which is known like a symbol of peace but it'd been struck by lightning it's quite a remarkable item and so like it was quite jagged and one side was all kind of like ashy and I don't know if you've seen like when people get struck by lightning they get this kind of it looks like roots these strange like electrical marks on it so there's like quite grainy and they looked fantastic yeah. so I got that I think it was like one week before the waning crescent moon and I left it charging on my altar and for like a week I was just planning what I would do and gaining powers and then so on the actual hexing day so I hexed it, it well I was going to say midnight on Sunday but you know we went to Bergheim Sunday evening for like classic time 6 7 p.m or something and I took the stake with me and I was planning to do my attack at midnight and it's quite funny because like I was like how am I going to get a blooming stake in Bergheim so I wrapped it in my cape and put a little ribbon on it and then when I got through the door, people, they're like, what is this? I was like, oh, it's a present. <laughs> and they're like, well, next time, please don't bring you wooden stakes here. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so what? I then I put it in garderobe. And then I don't think we'd plan to meet, but you just materialised there uh, with other members of our coven. And I think I shared with you my plans then my nefarious plans and I really remember so as I said I was going to do it at midnight but I remember like I think it must have been like 11 p.m we were dancing at Pano and it's like raising the power and I just had all these visions you know like kind of party visions of just like a apocalyptic procession everyone with like banners and sticks and it was really good raising the power and then so just before midnight, I went out. Um, so between Bergheim and Warschauerstrasse, there's all these little community gardens. So I went and found a good place to stake the stake. So just before midnight, it was quite weird as well, but so like just before midnight, found the place, did a little bump of K and like, before I did the bump, like there's all the blooming neon adverts I could see from the mall looked down and did my bump and when I looked up the lights were out <laughs> I mean I think it's probably because you know maybe they went out at midnight but it gave me a lot of like station and then oh blooming it I didn't stake the stake at midnight what I did is walked widdishins around Varshauer this was my whole mantra it's like a witch walks widdishins around Varshauer beneath a waning crescent moon so like Widdishins is opposite to clockwise direction. So that is like the direction of chaos and making like radical changes. So I walked Widdishins around Varshal holding this stake. And I was also um, kind of saying to myself this kind of channeled poetic rant that I've written a couple of days before, um, which is quite potent. And then did my little walk and then stuck it in the ground 
I think there are lots of other things like pomegranates and garlic involved. Oh, I yeah, stuck it in the, the pomegranates. Yeah, yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, I think actually they might have got, you know, there were pomegranates throughout, but um, then I returned back and was telling everyone capitalism is over. And that was like the first one, but then I did it every waning crescent for like, I think it was six months. And it was quite, each time I did something different and it was quite good. This was like me bringing my magical practice or praxis out from the shadows and being like, it's time to take action. I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I'm not going to stay in the shadows. We need to, I don't know, direct our magic at places that need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that would lead to my question because you talk about um, like radicalizing witchcraft and maybe first of all, I know this is always a tough question, but like, what does it mean to you to be a witch? Like not, you don't have to define witchcraft because I think always like these definitions are like hard to do, but like to you, what does it mean to you to be a witch? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. So the thing that's like calling out in my head first is like connection with the moon doesn't necessarily I, well we I think we're going to talk about this anyway this little saying that all bodies of water dance to the rhythms of the moon yeah I love that being a witch is definitely like a cyclical like appreciation of cyclical time so my whole life is guided by the moon my activities are structured about like you know, today's the new moon and like planting seeds, whereas full moon is time for like blazing with your crew. Um, so there's that. And I think I've already said, like, I see witchcraft as like negotiations of power. So on the one hand, witchcraft should be about like planting seeds and growing things and nurturing. But on the other side, you need to be aware of like, I don't want to say necessarily destruction, but like transformation mm. and hexing, trying to dismantle oppressive structures. And also dreams. For me, like I got into witchcraft through dream work and trying to understand like spirits in the dreamscape. When was What's about you? Am I allowed to ask you about what? <laughs> you're you're allowed to ask me anything <laughs> yeah yeah totally um I love that the first thing that you said was the moon because I also feel that um that is somehow like almost my foundation or the foundation of my practice um I find yeah for me it's uh, it's actually not so much about like casting spells or whatever um it's more about this connection to the earth and to the planets um and to yeah cycles of nature and to the spirit world of course um and to I, I also feel like it has a lot to do with embodiment and also the like embodiment of the like the sacred feminine. And I don't mean necessarily like the sacred female, because I'm non-binary anyways, <laughs> but um, but like the the feminine sacred energy. Um 
because that we've, we are so cut off from that in our culture. And uh, I find them like, I, hmm, I kind of started um, doing like a lot of sigil magic, which I still mm -hmm. sometimes do, but I kind of moved away from that a little bit um, because I find that it's, it is about power and it's about personal empowerment, but in a broader context, like for me, the broader context and, and relating to the world and to um, earth or like the goddess or whatever you want to call it is like um, more important now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, like, of course, the moon and the sacred feminine go well together because it's like fluctuations and embracing the shadow side or being aware that you're not a stable being. And I think claiming the title of a witch is empowering itself. And it's kind of an affirmation that you don't always have to be like, you know, the full moon energy and it's okay to like, have these down moments because they all go together for like the cyclical nature of self. Yeah, absolutely. And to also to move away from this like whole capitalist idea that the body is a machine and it's only um, like, we can only look at the body by uh, like through the lens of productivity or something like that. Um, and to really come home to my body and like, like feel what's going on, you know, and let myself um, be like in touch with the elements in a non-productive way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just sitting in yourself and being like part of the cosmic fabric, I think. Because I yeah. guess like as well, it's like dissolving the ego in order to swim in these cosmic seas and then returning to it because we are, well, I was going to say, unfortunately, humans that have to operate in our society, you know, but work with the different realms. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think um, ultimately being a witch is a very radical um, like place or a ra very radical way of being in the world that also cannot be monetized. And I mean, we talk about this all the time, right? Like how now with this like whole Instagram witch culture, um, there is this like, there are all these like online witch shops where you can buy like coffin shaped bath bombs and shit like that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not really what witchcraft was ever about or can be like, this is a site product that somebody is trying to sell, but it has nothing to do with actual empowerment, of course, um, because it is the opposite of that. It is in itself anti-capitalistic, I think and anti-patriarchal and anti-colonialist also, which is maybe what we can also talk about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with, I mean, of course I do consider myself an Instagram witch, but like this 
if we're talking about like the commodification of witchcraft or like it's been over glamorized or like made a little bit shallow because I think assuming the title or claiming the title of a witch it's not like the life of a witch is not always easy you know I didn't come to the conclusion that I'm a witch lightly it's through like a lot of struggle or <clears throat> reckoning with shadows and stuff and mm -hmm. yeah Totally. Yeah. I mean, going into the shadows is, is definitely such a huge part of it too. Um, which I find also comes with em embracing like the, the lunar uh, energy because you automatically kind of have to go into that dark place, um, which is absolutely not pretty. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, somehow like almost learning how to dance with the demons in a way. Like you can't have the light without the shadow. Um, and I, I find that also with the, with the Instagram commodification of witchcraft, like of course that part is not, <laughs> is not represented because it, it's not, um, you can't monetize that and it's not very sexy and nobody wants to, um, you know, think about death and fear mm -hmm. and, and uh, um, yeah demons <laughs> i like what you said about dancing with demons because i said my way into witchcraft was through dreams and like having as a teenager chronic sleep paralysis and it was a real turning point for me when oh, for those that listeners that don't know like sleep paralysis is when you wake up in the night kind of in this uh hypnagogic state between waking and dreaming and your body can't move but you're kind of awake but you're still like seeing shadow people in your room and so for me like a real transformative moment was like well here is the shadows maybe they're not necessarily bad but I feel strong enough to like rather than like trying to block it just asking and welcoming and seeing what they have to say and like yeah dancing with the demons you don't necessarily have to be best friends with them but it's good to like <laughs> look at them and I think as well in terms of like demons like christian uh demonization of witchcraft but the spirit realm you know in like the west to put it like loosely mm. the ideas of spirit have been linked to like halloween and ghosts and being haunted and of course not everything in the spirit realm is good but if you kind of learn to look into the darkness it's not as scary as you might think and you might find actually a few friends in there in the corners yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, when, um, when we, oh no, go on, go on. I was just gonna go back to the radical um, witchcraft. Like, um, why do you think that witchcraft needs to be radicalized or re-radicalized? I think that's also like a little bit what we talked about um, before, right? Like the, the hex positive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well I mean I don't think every magical act necessarily has to be you know a hex or directed towards political aims but I definitely am against like apolitical magic or like you know love and lighters you know who are just focused in on the light and I mean of course we all need to heal and things but 
there's this classic quote, a witch who cannot harm, cannot heal. It's about knowing the two. So radical witchcraft, I mean, especially as we are white witches occupying quite a privileged position and like witchcraft is always being used as a resource of like marginalized folk to negotiate power. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess I was going to say our duty, or at least I consider it as like a personal I don't know if duty is the right word because that kind of over moralizes it but you know I wouldn't be able to it sounds dramatic I wouldn't be able to like live with myself comfortably if all my magic was just about manifesting things for myself and not actively towards dismantling you know for example like white supremacy or capitalism which I feel is like the underlying root of many things um, so yeah, that's why I feel it should be inherently radical, or it it can be, it can be, and I think as well there's like lots of class distinctions within the magical realm, so I like to explore between what is known as like high magic, which is, you know, this kind of ceremonial stuff with long robes and <clears throat> reading the grimoires and all these like stiff Victorian British folk versus I mean you know like in the witch hunts let's imagine like the peasant herbalist in the village who gets like forages from the woods or like you know these kind of distinctions um yeah don't really know where I'm going with that <laughs> yeah totally and I mean also I think for um for you know queer people like us uh, who are marginalized people um it is an, a way to survive mm -hmm. and to to be or to empower ourselves or to find more like to find the power that we were cut off from um which and i think it's all radical i think yeah and i think before it became oh i mean i guess probably it's always been in some ways glamorous because witches are fucking glamorous but um wait i got distracted by thinking of glamorous witches <laughs> relatable <laughs> oh yeah wait no oh yeah 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 I, well when you were talking i was thinking about um the queer ancestors so like thinking about the witches who burned back in the day probably a lot of them were quite queer fellows as well um, so I think it's a good way to like studying these things and like acknowledging or just like connecting in your own spirit practice. It's a good way to kind of see these lineages and like connect yourself with this shared history and the legacy, which I feel is also quite empowering. Oh, and also I was going to say about the glamour witches before witchcraft was glamorous, I think to assume the title of witch, because witches are quite haggish, it's like against this kind of politics of respectability. I'm not going to play your system, I'm just going to go the other way and go full on witch. You'll find me on the side of a mountain naked under the full moon. <laughs> yeah. I like to think of the glamorous witch. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's always this 
um, it, it's such an ambivalent, like, um, like the traditional depiction of a witch is so ambivalent, I find, because it's not, uh, not always like the ugly old woman, right? It's often also like the sexy young woman who like fucks the devil's dick. And there are all these projections onto her, like, cause she's like the outsider of society. And so she gets to like, have that um, life that other people also dream of, of course. Mm-hmm. I think it, a lot of it, and as well, cause like I study a lot of how the witch hunts in Europe came about and what were the roots. And it's always seems to be linked to, uh, just femme power and a lot of it related to like sexual power as well but like with the hag or the crone I guess that's like I don't know I feel like a lot of the negative depictions of witches relates to kind of having like non-procreative sexual um endeavors because it doesn't fit in with like the capitalist system of reproducing and the sexual division of labor where a woman should be meek and in the home yeah yeah, totally. Um, how do you think um, being a witch is connected to sexuality or like to your sexuality or also in general? Um, that was quite a broad question. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the one hand, We've got the great Babylon, who is a figure for many, well, I guess Diana is the typical figure for witches, but I do a lot of work with Babylon, who is, I guess, the symbol of the holy whore. She's the goddess of both love and the apocalypse. So, um, oh God, the question's too broad. There's things you can do like sex magic, which is inherently potent. I'm not sure the question's too broad. I'm um, not sure. Let me try to uh, make it more specific. Like, how do you feel that? Hmm, okay. How do you personally feel that being a witch is changing your sexuality or influencing, or like influencing your, your sexuality? Mm. Are the two connected in, in your personal experience? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure how to describe how it is. But okay, for a, I'll let me give you an example. So as I said, it's the two-year anniversary of the Mall Hex, and one of my learnings from the Mall Hex was that probably better rather than standing in front of the mall shouting at it might be better to like step away and cultivate your garden elsewhere and so I was planning I was considering whether for this anniversary should I go out in the middle of the night in the snow the mall I was like nah it's fucking freezing I'm not gonna do that and what I did instead last night I was having some glorious sex and so the idea of sex magic is at the point of orgasm, you imagine whatever you want to manifest. So I must admit, last night when I was orgasming, I was picturing the mall 
setting on fire and burning down to the ground <laughs> from the comfort of my own bedroom. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I mean, of course, like, and also I said I was like hexstatic, which moments of ecstasy, it's probably like the most potent power you can draw upon. Yeah. So on the one hand, like sex magic in terms of like manifesting is quite possible. But I guess also like claim the title of the witch on the one hand, it's like coming out as a queer fellow. And on the other like divine self-love and pleasure in yourself and devoted, I'm devoted to Babylon. She's my goddess. And yeah, it's definitely giving me a framework through which to explore and honor and cherish my own sexuality. And also it's a good way to share it with others as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that, um, I found that I became a witch and a dominatrix kind of at the same time <laughs> through the performance art that I was doing um where I, I called it well satanic striptease or whatever but it was very much a connection of of magic and like deviant sexuality and i i've i can i cannot separate being a dominatrix from being a witch actually like i find that in it's not very sellable. I mean, I could go down that whole road of like, you know, like the, the priestess and sometimes I do that, but it's not, um, it's not super uh, sellable, but it's for me, my inner understanding of it is completely connected because I find that it, when I am the dominatrix, I am the goddess. Like that is the place from yeah. where I act. Being like a channel of the power of the goddess. Yeah. And yeah, then it all makes sense, you know, like this whole, like just, you know, men crawling towards me to serve me becomes um, an actual act of worship. Because that is the language of, of domination, right? And at the beginning, I sometimes was a bit like, well, it's not, you know, that's not really me because I'm also like an anarchist and I don't do hierarchy. <laughs> but in this case, I absolutely do. And I, and I think this is actually, in a, in a way, a natural hierarchy that I actually um, believe in. I mean, I'm not a female supremacist, but I do believe that um, the ultimate power in the universe is a feminine energy and that's the one that I inhabit yeah and I feel like I mean you're talking about domination but also on the other side the submission side like I think a lot of magic is about like submitting to the divine nothingness or like discarding your ego to connect with something bigger like a goddess so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. On the other hand, when I practice um, magic, I mean, I'm I'm not always in the goddess space. Um, I'm often also in the in the I don't know if servant, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, kind of. Yeah, if I like bring an offering uh, for for a spirit, then I am of service or 
trying to be of service. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And recognizing that these spirits are so much bigger and 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 in a completely like timeless dimension that we as as little humans <laughs> um, can can never reach in a way. Oh yeah. The non-linear completely undermines the capitalist accumulative nine to five, which um, I don't know, with Corona, it's a bit tricky because I feel like it's lockdown has been a chance to like iron out the kinks of society, you know, but also you have the maybe there's not the same routine. That's true. Yeah, the nine to five is seems to be over, at least right now. And also unconditional income will come <laughs> sooner than we they all think. need to be met. They mm -hmm. all need to be met. <laughs> yes, that was a little chant from a ritual we once did. <laughs> um yeah, I'm I'm still trying to think about um sexuality and witchcraft because I find it interesting for example that in the tarot um the devil is directly connected to like deviant sexuality like at least in the wild unknown like the description actually is uh either like all of your demons and shadows might come out or you find a really interesting new kinky sex practice <laughs> Or like if you have the um, like Yodorovsky Tarot de Marseille interpretation, the devil with two people chained to his feet, and you either have the choice of becoming like you know tied to your deviant desires, or use like or like let them bring you down, or raise you up and use this potency to manifest other things, and like. Yeah, I mean, the devil in the Jodorowsky deck is like a fucking killer, right? I mean, that's my favorite devil card of all. Blue, isn't he? With like a tongue, a funny face on his belly. Yeah, like, I think six eyes or something. And also definitely a they, like total uh, Baphomet with tits and a penis. I have a hard time hearing you right now. I said the best of both worlds, all in one. Both worlds, exactly. <laughs> and the six eyes, I mean, damn. <laughs> they can see in the darkness and dance with the demons. Yeah, so I think uh, going into the shadow world, I mean, this is also like the way that, that BDSM is still represented in society, right? It's like, oh, those like freaks in the in the like dungeons in the basements and the and the sick shit that they do or whatever and it's like well it's actually like pretty interesting stuff what we're doing down there and uh now i find people are getting more and more curious about it or actually they've always been it's just been very like literally demonized yeah um, but there's always a bit of this like uh ambivalence of like demonizing it but at the same time wanting to practice it and you know 
thinking in detail or like fantasizing in detail about how exactly do the witches ride the devil's deck, you know? Like <laughs> oh yeah. Riding the magic broomstick. Right. <laughs> um, but I think probably because I just spend too many times in like witchy Berlin party circles. But I'm always surprised when if I meet a Christian or just like a normal person and they're afraid of tarot or they still think kinky stuff is like evil or whatever I don't know it's easy to get lost in the bubble but yeah. I think it's sometimes good to step out of it to remember and again it relates to like why witchcraft should be radical it's like oh yeah there's like lots of really not necessarily just repressed people but people that want to like police my sexual activities like fuck off <laughs> get away with your bible or like I don't know morals or yeah, I, I mean, I have that with my clients, right? Like they are so incredibly ashamed and so closeted and they would like never come out to anyone. One of my, um, my regulars told me that he has this box where all his like sissy stuff is in it and all his sex toys. And uh, he has an agreement with a friend of his that if he dies, his friend has to burn this box without ever opening it so that nobody can find it. Wow, I wonder what the friend thinks is in there. I know, I was wondering too. I was like, oh, so you never had a conversation about that? <laughs> and I'm actually always encouraging my, my clients to come out also to their partners, even if that means that I lose them as clients because I think it's so horrible and so sad that they cannot live a true life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not like doing sex work has changed my, my perspective on that so much because now I always look at all these like random people on the street and especially men and I'm like, 90% of you would love to get their ass fucked, but you just don't, you know, they just would never ever be able to say that out loud. <laughs> and I'm actually feeling sorry for them. <laughs> Anyways, um, got sidetracked a little, <laughs> a little no, bit. I think as well, like being true to yourself, not quite the same as your clients, but like, I mean, I'd already like come out as a witch long before doing the mall, but the mall hexing was also like an affirmation to myself that I'm just going to be like a witch on the streets. You know, I don't care. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to be true to myself and I'm not going to like try and hide you know, before that, I mean, I've, I've always been against office work, but, you know, sometimes you have to feed yourself and sometimes it's good to sit down. But when I started the hex, I was in some awful office job and like, once I started hexing them all, I just didn't give a shit anymore and I'd tell people there. And actually, when I was looking back at my notes, the first mall hex that initiated a one-month Bergheim bender, I didn't care if I was going into work and like just telling people about hexing them all also with the um as the progression of them all hex happens like we just said the first one I did it at midnight and I was being all secretive and quiet but by the end of it six months later I was doing it in the middle of the day and kind of skipping down the street and when people you know be hanging like treasures and strange nefarious objects in the street and people are like what are you do is like oh I'm hexing them all and like yeah thanks I fucking hate them all so I think there's a lot to be gained. I mean, of course, magic and secrecy go hand in hand, but also 
I think when we're operating in this shitty society, it's quite good to like be bold and true to yourself. That's true. And we do have the privilege of now being able to come out, which is quite amazing, actually. Looking at that very, very long history, even in the Western world of, yeah, which is getting burned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're quite, in terms of like the genealogy of witches, we're actually in quite privileged positions. So we should use it, you know, wisely. Yeah, absolutely. I also find though sometimes that when I say that I'm a witch or I'm, I say like my my friend is a witch or something like people don't actually believe it <laughs> they think it's like a, a way of like saying that somebody is like weird or something I've mm -hmm. um, oh, I get quite often um I tell people I'm a witch and then Maybe after like, I mean, I do love to just talk about witchcraft all the time. I try not, with people who aren't witches, I try and tone it down a bit, but then like, oh God, you're more than just like into crystals. You take this very seriously. It's like, yeah, it's my life's work. <laughs> There's no escape. It's, some, it's quite serious actually. It's not always fun. I mean, I try and make it as fun as possible, but it's quite, I don't know. Yeah, life work. Yeah. Um, do we want to, since we already, um, talked a little bit about bear kind, shall we go to the rave magic? Cause it's one of my favorite kinds of magic. <laughs> oh yeah. And I miss, I fucking miss the rave magic. It was so nice to read what I'd written like two years ago and just remember being there and gosh, yeah. I mean, we're still doing rave magic, right? Our full moon drifts. Oh yeah. That's, that's right. Being a witch. Being a witch is all about being like adaptable and so we've had to change our rave magic practices a bit. But. So what we do, uh, Jane and I, is now on full moons we go out and uh, we choose a mix and we play press play at the same time on our phones and then we dance through the streets. And the first, <laughs> first time we did it, we danced Witter Shins around Berkheim. Oh yeah, and also do you remember we just had started and then we found this box of like well things that someone didn't want on the street it's full of feathers they're using them as magic sticks dancing around and feathering it people on the street I mean it's kind of tricky now but so as as we were talking about like Burkhine it's a great I don't want to call it a void because so many magical things happen there but it was a great place to like charge yourself and gain powers and also like dancing trance exhaustion and fasting are all ways to get to this like magical consciousness yeah um, and I guess there's many ways to get there but there's was... nothing better than like dancing with your crew and yeah. I don't know drifting off to another place in your mind I don't know what oh, I miss it <laughs> yeah I I don't know if I ever told you that, but I used to call um, the last hours of closing the Mystic Plateau because oh. <laughs> I find that, um, you know, when it gets a little more empty and then there is this creation of this new dimension and everybody who's still there has gone through at least 12 to 
I don't know, 30 hours of dancing. And they're completely free of, of their um, like material ego selves. And they, or I should say we, because that's also what I experienced, like moved into like a deeper layer, like a mystic layer. And I could see like different archetypes on the dance floor and I could feel myself become uh, one of those archetypes too. Mm -hmm. I also like it, you know, the closing crowd that you spoke about. Sometimes maybe it's directly related to ketamine, but I feel that, you know, you're looking around this kind of like this shared look of knowing on people's faces, like we're all in on this secret and yeah, really nice. But then, sorry to bring it back to the mall, my old friend. Oh, no. If you've, <laughs> if you've got to this mystical space on a Monday morning and then you stumble out, you know, feeling like you've transcended everything and then you're face to face with these fucking neon abomination. It just, it's uh, very frustrating. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of potency that can be gained from the dancing. And also like the witches sabbat, that's key. That was key of like why they were persecuted in the past was essentially for going on a great party where people transgress like sexual boundaries and all kinds of things and you can definitely raise a lot of power as a collective through the act of dancing and being in communal space together weaving the fabric of the universe yeah I found that in this in this mental space of of the rave everything would come to me like I could completely give myself to that. It was a complete like transcendence of my ego or like my worldly self or something. I didn't have to do anything anymore. It just, I could just let things happen and let things come and the spirits would come and the dreams would come and the different dimensions would come. And I would have these like deep realizations. Um, Mm -hmm. of, of who I am and who we are uh, outside of you know our everyday world and just also the level of manifestation that was possible in there just so many times I was like I need water and then one second later somebody gives me water you know <laughs> it's just like oh my god everything is possible um yeah I mean I definitely had all my best ideas on the dance floor or like when I was had if I was doing research to, do, to write an article or something after do, reading all these things it would be on the dance floor where I could weave it all together and like the kind of tr train of thought would keep going at the back while you're dancing and I guess, yeah, it's through these ecstatic experiences that you can have like great illumination and also like the boundaries of each individual dissolve quite a lot. Yeah, totally. And I've made so many great connections with people there that I, you know, people that I still um, am friends with and I'm still seeing a lot because I've always find at, at least at a certain point into the rave, um, 
all of these identity markers don't matter because you can somehow directly see into somebody's soul. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that sends shivers down my spine remembering <laughs> when you like, encounter people on the dance floor. One minute. Oh God, is that so much? <laughs> Yeah. But then on the other hand, so what was I going to say? So first I was going to say, you said there was so much manifestation there. And as I said, like in my first mall hex, I was in Burkhan, I think a total of like, I don't know, 100 hours in a month or something. Maybe it was a bit too much or like, on the like, of course I fucking miss it and wish we could go to party. But on the other side of the lockdown, I have a chance. I'm not manifesting like I used to, but there's still a bit more time to like put things maybe lay some roots a bit more and I feel like so I don't want to be a Debbie Downer but I'm not sure if I'm going to be dancing Burkheim this summer but it's a chance for this rave spirit to come out on the streets a bit more like because people are going to be partying no matter what like corona or no corona it's just whether it's kind of in these sanctioned spaces or if it's going to be inherently like um deviant or you know, illegal, let's say, but the spirit lives on. You can't, I don't think it can be squashed at all. It just bursts out. You know, it's like trying to put concrete on something that wants to grow. It'll always come through the cracks with more fury than you imagine. Absolutely. And I also think it's something so fundamental to humans um, that dancing can never die. I remember once being uh, in this workshop with um, with Amit actually. Oh yeah, the one that you also did, and in the first, uh, I think it was in the uh, the first meeting. It was a whole like a group of twelve people maybe, and we all didn't know each other. And the first thing that we did was dance together in a circle, and I was immediately in the rave headspace, and I got into it like so fast that I just felt like how much my, my body actually wants to do this and like how easy it is to create community like that. And I really think that this is something that is in our genes from back in the days when we did that like every month for the full moon as a, a tribe ritual. Yeah, and I feel when you suppress it, even if it's just like suppressing yourself on an individual level, I don't know, you get quite frustrated or the creativity isn't there and it's stilted because everything is in motion, you know, and dancing, I guess, is going with, oh, it sounds, I was about to say, going with the flow or like moving with the currents, let's say, um, and fluidity, which I guess is well why, why magic, I think, is inherently queer. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I always, that's kind of like linking back to what I was talking about earlier, like what it means to be a witch. I find that finding that flow that is already there uh, is almost like, I think to me actually is the baseline of being a witch or becoming a witch. Like always trying to find that connection again and again and again. Mm. I, had a, I haven't really expressed this before, but just what popped in my head then is like learning to swim in the cosmic seas. Mm. You know, when you first identify as a witch, it's realizing you're in the water 
and then as your practice develops you learn to like move with the currents and maybe not like pushing yourself but floating along and being able to like go where it takes you and enjoy enjoy the ride as well yeah. is important yeah I think yeah uh, those are great last words I think we talked for about an hour so that's great cool all right witchy thank you so much for this conversation thank you. I'm very excited <laughs> to post this um and uh yeah I'll let you know when I post it and also mm -hmm. drop a few links to your blog and your Instagram. Oh yeah, thank you. And um, hope you enjoy the new moon evening. I'm probably gonna do a bit of dancing at my bedroom. Maybe oh, a day as well to connect with the magical spirits. Yeah. That's great, I'll do the same. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.